Welcome to the Richard Roper Show. I am Richard Roper. Thanks to everybody who's been coming along for the ride these last few years. Uh, we're going to talk about reboots, remakes, sequels today, but not in the cinematic arena, but on TV and streaming. All the reboots, there's a new version of Frasier coming out. I'll have a review of that. And we're going to talk about this huge trend in the 21st century to bring back TV shows from the 70s and the 80s and 90s and whether or not that's a good idea or is it time to give the boot to TV reboots? Also, some reviews of interesting stuff coming to your local iPad or home TV screen or even at the theater. All of that and much, much more. But first, the Richard Roper Show is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly and to compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business's success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com to get started today. That's AmericanEagle.com, AmericanEagle.com. I miss you, and I won't take no for an answer. So I've taken a job, and I found a place to live. My dad, I mean, he can be kind of... He smelled really good. Yeah, he always smells really good. <laughs> Don't sit there! Those are Christian LaCroix pillows. So we can't sit on the couch. Not in jeans. <laughs> What do you say we have a toast? I got some scotch, if that sounds oh, good. Great, I'll go get it. Top shelf. Of course, nothing less. No, it's on the top shelf of the hutch, green plastic jug. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Today I'm spending time with my son, colleagues, and friends. For the first time in my life, I can say that Fraser Crane wants for nothing. Oh, that's too bad. I had somebody that I wanted to set you up with. I can be ready in five minutes. Okay, so Frasier is back. It's just called Frasier. As you guys know, the character of Dr. Frasier Crane, as played by Kelsey Grammer, goes back all the way to Cheers. Uh, a recurring character on the great sitcom Cheers, uh, and then eventually got his own show called Frasier. And that was a show that just dominated the landscape. Uh, Frasier was a show that um, was that rare combination of being wildly popular, but also almost universally critically acclaimed. So over its 11-year run on NBC, where it was uh, regularly a highly rated show, uh, Frasier received 107 Primetime Emmy Award nominations, had 37 wins, won all other sorts of accolades. The last time we saw Kelsey Grammer's Dr. Fraser Crane was in 2004. Just to refresh your memory, he had landed in Chicago. The twist of, and this is, listen, this is 20 years ago, so I'm sorry for the spoiler alerts, but uh, the, the setup, like a lot of sitcoms and some dramas, but particularly with sitcoms, they love to tie everything up in the last episode, right? People move on, marriages happen, babies are born, people usually physically move, you know, Friends is a classic example of that. They jam all of this stuff in, into the final episode. And they did that with Frasier, with different weddings and babies being born and all this uh, stuff. And Frasier's character was with Charlotte, who was played by uh, the brilliant Laura Linney. He had decided to um, go to San Francisco to leave Seattle. Frazier basically thought, well, everybody else has kind of moved on. I should move on. He was going to go to San Francisco 
for a gig. But the big twist was instead of landing in San Francisco at the end of the episode, he actually landed in Chicago where his girlfriend Charlotte had moved. So that's where Frazier was. Okay. In 2004, he landed in Chicago. Everybody has a happy ending. So now they're bringing back Frazier, the Kelsey Grammer character, uh, for a limited series. And it picks up in present day in Boston. And now, and you know, they, this is the problem with a lot of these reboots, guys. Uh, first of all, uh, we lost uh, the, the late, great John Mahoney several years ago, who played Frazier's uh, father, Martin. Now, David Hyde Pierce, who famously played Niles, and Jane Leaves, who played Daphne, are not returning to the series. Uh, so it's just Frazier and a whole new uh, cast of regulars. So the, the conceit here is that Frazier is, he stops in Boston on his way to Paris to do research on his latest book. And living in Boston is his now grown son, Freddie. Remember, he had a son, Freddie, with Lilith. Now, what we learn is that Freddie dropped out of Harvard, became a firefighter, much to the chagrin of his father. So now Frazier's in Boston. His son is a firefighter. We meet some other kind of, you know, fun, interesting regulars. His best friend is a Harvard professor, da-da-da-da-da. And Frazier decides to live in Boston, not to go to Paris, to try to reconnect with his son. Uh, that's the setup of the Frazier reboot. So I'm told that a couple of the regulars uh, from the original show might uh, appear in one-off guest starring roles, just like some people from Cheers appeared on Frasier. But basically, it's a whole new cast, except for... Kelsey Grammer, who's still great as Frazier, is a great character. It's a perfect marriage of an actor style. You know, the thing about Frazier was he's this, you know, this pompous, elitist academic uh, who's also a little bit of a of buffoon because for someone who's a therapist, he has a lot of trouble sometimes reading the room, so to speak. And that's what made him sort of endearing as well, because we know at heart he's a good guy. And it's no fault of the supporting cast that they're not John Mahoney and Jane Leaves and David Hyde Pierce, but they're not. So what you end up with Frasier 2.0 is a pale imitation of the original. And I got to say, honestly, it just seems sort of unnecessary. And they keep doing this with these beloved shows. Uh, the same week, this Frasier is now available right now. Uh, we also heard, and this was really interesting, um, Jerry Seinfeld uh, was doing a stand-up set in Boston at the Wang Theater another Boston thing. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Frazier Crane was in attendance at the show. And, uh, he said, uh, well, there's a clip we're going to play for you here. Did I like what? The ending of the show. Well, I have a little secret for you about the ending, but I can't really tell it. Because it is a secret. Here's what I'll tell you. Okay. But you can't tell anybody. Something is going to happen that has to do with that ending. Really? Has it hasn't happened yet. And just what you are thinking about, Larry and I have also been thinking about. So you'll see. You'll see. He said something's going to do uh, on curb with the ending of Seinfeld. We're going to do something. I'm not sure what. So it, he, he hinted that when Curb Your Enthusiasm comes back, and it is coming back, you know, it, it's run for some 20 plus years. It basically depends on when Larry David feels like there's a new storyline to do. And it's, it, Curb is amazing. I love Curb and I, I love the original Seinfeld. 
So again, a refresher. Seinfeld ran for nine seasons between uh, eighty nine and ninety eight on NBC. If, if you if you were around at the time, you remember it was an enormous cultural phenomenon. Seinfeld. It started off just as a, a, a four week run on a summer show called The Seinfeld Chronicles. It's this was a time when they were giving every stand up who had any kind of a following a sitcom, and some of them did very very well. But Seinfeld started off very slowly, but the NBC stuck with it. And it became just this insane hit. I mean, the the numbers of people watching Seinfeld approach what the Super Bowl gets now. I mean, we're talking 30, 40, 50, no shows out now get that kind of number because there's just too many choices. But even for, for network television, it was one of the highest rated shows of all time and brilliant with, you know, of course, Seinfeld and Jason Alexander, Julia Louis-Dreyfus and uh, Michael Richards as Kramer. So uh, in fact, 76 million tuned in for the show's finale, but that was kind of met with mixed reviews. If you'll recall, the finale of Seinfeld was a two-parter. They get uh, charged with violating the Good Samaritan law because they don't step in to help someone who's being mugged. And then there's this trial where they brought back all of these famous uh, guest stars who had been wronged by one of the quartet at some point. And what I thought was kind of brilliant about it, Larry David, of course, was the mastermind along with Jerry behind Seinfeld. What I thought was kind of brilliant was like it was a reminder that these are terrible people. All four of them were absolutely terrible people, even though we loved them. And then we saw it in context. But I don't know that people wanted to be reminded that they had fallen in love with four horrible people. So the reunion was always kind of, you know, mixed reviews. A lot of season finales uh, get that. But I thought that they did a great job of handling that. On season seven of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which, believe it or not, was all the way back in 2009, when the character, you know, that Larry David basically playing himself, he gets uh, Julia and uh, Michael and Jerry back together for a reunion of Seinfeld. They actually rebuilt the set for that. He did it just because he wanted to get back with his his estranged wife, uh, Cheryl. So he has her play, uh, Jason Alexander, uh, uh, George's uh ex-wife but i thought that kind of was the reunion but now they're saying they're gonna do some sort of return of seinfeld i don't know if it's gonna be another thing on curb i don't know how they could do it better than they did in season seven and i always like the fact that jerry said listen we did the show we're not gonna have a bunch of 60 year olds you know living across the hall from each other or hanging out at a coffee shop maybe they'll figure out a way to do it if anybody can do it it would be seinfeld and and larry david but my feeling is guys overall whether we're talking about frazier or Seinfeld, you know, these are, these shows are of a specific time and place. And, uh, you know, Seinfeld, the, the comedy is universal. One of the things Jerry was adamant and Larry David was at, they were adamant about doing is they didn't do too much topical humor. They would do references like to OJ and things like that. But, you know, that should, again, that was a show that was on in the 80s and the 90s, mostly the 90s. I don't think there was one Bill Clinton joke ever on Seinfeld. They did that on purpose because they wanted the comedy to be kind of timeless and universal. Now, of course, almost every situation in Seinfeld and any other show from that time period would be different now because of technology. So when people can't find each other in the movie theater, they would be texting each other or, you know, they can't find their car in the parking garage. There'd be a way to do it. it you know, there are so many misunderstandings and uh, wacky situations that occur on these old timey shows that would be resolved with technology. But it still holds up really well, I think, in reruns. So I would hope they leave it alone. I got a list here for you guys. Some of these shows that have been, and sometimes they're reboots, which means they bring back the premise, but with new cast members. And sometimes they're direct sequels, like Frasier's a sequel. It takes place in the timeline of Frasier, 
We learned that for most of the 20 years uh, since we last saw him, at least for more than a dozen years, that Frazier hosted a, an advice show in Chicago that was syndicated. So it's picking up his life now. His son, Freddie, as I mentioned, is grown. You know, So it, it's a direct uh, sequel to the original. And uh, in other cases, they're reboots. For example, you know, the, the Equalizer, which is the Queen Latifah version. Uh, people, of course, know the, the Denzel Washington films. Uh, there was actually an Equalizer TV show, I think, in the 80s was the original for that. So that's just a reboot. Hawaii Five-0 uh, was a popular show in the 60s, I want to say late 60s through the 70s. And now uh, the new version of Hawaii Five-0 has actually been a, a long-running show as well. It's one of those shows that doesn't get a ton of buzz or awards, contention stuff, but just performs and does well. Uh, they, re they did a reboot of Magnum P.I. I had forgotten about this one. And probably with good reason. In 2015, they brought back The Odd Couple with Matthew Perry and Thomas Lennon. The Odd Couple was a Neil Simon play, became a very famous and very popular movie hit with Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau, and then a huge TV hit with Tony Randall and Jack Klugman. I didn't even remember that they did a 2015 version. One Day at a Time was kind of an interesting reboot. Uh, they've done this with a number of shows too, where they'll take the original premise and now it's a a uh, Latina family or, you know, a family of color. And it's kind of, it, it, that's a show that, that was acclaimed and, and rightfully so. They've tried to bring back the Twilight Zone a million times. Perry Mason, they did a dark version of that. And then you have, the, so those are all reboots that have come out. Um, and then you have, as I mentioned, the sequels in which they're taking, you know, characters who we knew from the original shows and catching up with them years later. Night Court, uh, Fuller House, that 90s show where the, you know, the, the teenagers from that 70s show now are married, have kids of their own, and probably maybe the most ingenious and uh, surprisingly popular uh, sequel of all of them is Cobra Kai. Now, that's, of course, not a sequel to a TV series, but a sequel to the, uh, the Karate Kid movies. Uh, first Karate Kid, I believe, was in 1984, believe it or not, almost 40 years ago. And then Karate Kid 2 was okay, and then there were a couple of just horrible Karate Kid uh, movies and they, they then there was a remake of the film a movie version they did but Cobra Kai uh, had you know and people now you know it's a huge hit I think they're going into the last season it was originally like a it was a YouTube series and then it did so well that I think Netflix bought it up and it's this hugely popular thing and they took you know they got the actual actors and they you know they picked up the story it, it, of course it's kind of ridiculous that Daniel San and Johnny Lawrence are still battling each other now that they're like in their late fifties and everything centers around karate. And they have, there's, there's these giant fight scenes that are like choreographed West side story numbers, but they keep bringing back guest villains, the actual actors who played various villains in the various karate kid movies, which is kind of ingenious and kind of great. And they, you know, they've even, they got Elizabeth Shue to come back. She was Allie, you know, uh, who is the, you know, the girl that the two of them were kind of fighting over in the original it's very cheesy. It's it's over the top ridiculous, and it's entertaining as hell. Crease, of course, uh, they brought back. You know, he's like a hundred and seven year old, and he's still you know trying to get these kids in line, and he's just a terrible villain. So Cobra Kai works, but overall, I would say that this it's not even a trend because it's a whole movement for reboots, remakes, sequels dubious at best folks uh, i would stay away from fraser 2.0 and if anything just go back and watch the originals all right let's take a break talk about portillo's and we'll be right back 
All right, we're going to talk about Portillo's. You guys know the drill here. They're known for their famous Chicago hot dogs with all the famous correct Chicago ingredients, right down to that poppy seed bun. But there's so much more. They got great burgers. You can get Italian sausage, Italian beef, amazing French fries. Also, some really good salads. Don't shortchange the salads at Portillo's. And then, of course, you top it off with the legendary, the one and only chocolate cake. I know people who order the entire cake for birthdays and other occasions, but you can also get a a slice, which will probably last you two helpings because it's amazing. And always, of course, you keep the cake at room temperature. That's how they do it at Portillo's. That's how you want to consume it. Now, there are Portillo's in many locations across the country, but you can also order online and ship it via Portillo's.com. You can find a location near you, order online, Portillo's, P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com, Portillo's.com. I want to tell you guys about a a five-part documentary series called Painkiller, the Tylenol Murders. That's out right now. I said it has to be the Tylenol. Seven deaths have been associated with the presence of cyanide in two containers of extra-strength Tylenol. It caused a national panic. Not take Tylenol until further notice. Cyanide contaminated Tylenol. This funeral was huge. My grandma, she was gasping for air. I'll never forget that. You are all aware of recent tragic events in limited areas after they left our factory. Well, how could all these different people been poisoned by the same person at the same time? One day, everything fell apart. As soon as one lead reaches a dead end, there is another tip to track. We are going to be able to identify what happened. I've never speculated on who I believe did it. Do you think you know who did it? Yes. This again goes back. This is very serious and uh, at times heartbreaking and tragic stuff. But this is a uh, a five part series that revisits the Tylenol murders that took place in Chicago, where I'm at, as you know, uh, 1982. So 41 years ago. And uh, when you look back on this, if you know the history, this is a great kind of recap of what happened. If you don't, it's it's an incredible story true crime story. So in the fall of 1982, uh, there was a young man who went into a local suburban hospital, had some, uh, had a headache, had taken a Tylenol and uh, collapsed and was pronounced dead. And the doctors thought he had a heart attack, even though I think he was like 27 years old, had no history of heart problems. His family, this man's family, they're gathering in a suburban house when his younger brother collapses and then the younger brother's wife, the younger brother was 25 and the wife was only 19. She collapses and they are both pronounced dead. Now people are wondering, the investigators are wondering, medical examiner in real time wondering what the hell is going on. There's no way that three young, healthy people who are all related, uh, you know, two brothers and the brother, one brother's wife, they all died and they they couldn't figure it out. And what the documentary uh, does is this brilliant job. They actually some of the some of the investigators and relatives are still with us. And there was a, a chief medical kind of officer, a nurse who's now in her 80s, who was at the ho- went to the house of this family and she saw the bottle of Tylenol in the medicine cabinet and she saw a receipt for Tylenol and she opened the bottle and saw that there were some capsules missing. And she said, well, the only commonality here between these three 
tragic victims is Tylenol. And each one of them had taken two Tylenol. And she, she brought that evidence to the police and the medical investigators, the, the ME, medical, exa- medical examiner. And they were all like, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. However, it was later learned, I believe that same day, that in a completely separate incident, a 12-year-old girl who wasn't feeling well had taken two Tylenol and had collapsed and died in the bathroom of her family home. Now they've got four deaths and it's very, very obvious and clear that the only commonality, the only thing that ties these together is Tylenol. Eventually, there were three other victims, including I know there was a, a flight attendant in Chicago and two other victims uh, in separate suburban and or Chicago places. So there were seven murders in all, all seven cases. They had taken Tylenol and that the documentary then takes us through the manhunt. It was an incredible time, too, because uh, this was in the era when anybody could just buy medications off the shelf. They did not have what they call tamper evident packaging. So what happened was some monster, the case remains unsolved, although the documentary reminds us that the the one suspect, there's one suspect that that everybody kind of honed in on recently died, never admitted to it, but was uh, convicted of extortion because he sent a letter demanding a million dollars or there'd be more killings. He said he just did the extortion. He did not actually commit the murders, but so in other words, what you could do is you could buy Tylenol, uh, you could, what this monster did, you could open up the capsules, you could put cyanide in random uh, bottles and put them back on a shelf. If someone bought it and they opened up the bottle, there wasn't that second lid, you know, that sealed lid there. So they wouldn't know that it was tampered with. It just looked like Tylenol. And this sparked a, a, a massive nationwide recall of literally millions of bottles of Tylenol Everybody was warned not to take Tylenol. The city was in a panic. This happened in Chicago, but even nationwide, because people didn't know how far this would spread. Uh, Documentary does a great job of uh, chronicling all this. It's called Painkiller, the Tylenol Murders. And it's because of those murders that to this day, whether you're uh, there's a shrink wrap on a bottle of shampoo or when you uh, open a quarter orange juice, there's that second kind of lid that you have to open or obviously with products like Tylenol. There's the, the, the foil lid and the cotton ball and all that. They call that tamper evident packaging. It's not tamper proof because nothing is tamper proof, but it, but you could see evidence of tampering. If a seal is broken, if something's cracked, that's why it says in all its packages. If you see, if, if you open up something and it looks like it's been tampered with, do not ingest or use that product, bring it to the store or bring it to your local authorities. And that all came about because of the Tylenol murders on Netflix. Uh, We now have The Fall of the House of Usher. Your Honor, no matter how much evidence stacked against them, the Usher crime family stands stronger and darker than ever before. Roderick Usher, your family is a collection of stunted hearts. Whose time has come. Who are you? Consequence. And tonight is consequential. Your brother's dead. This is tragic, but a few my heart will go on tweets will pat it out. This was no accident. You have been targeted. This woman knows everything. It's time, Roger. What did you do? I'm afraid you're ringside for my reckoning, old friend. May it rest in peace. This is a, uh, I believe, eight-part 
dramatic, limited horror series. If you're an Edgar Allan Poe fan, you might know that title, The Fall of the House of Usher. And this is really good stuff. I'm recommending it, guys. Uh, Kind of ingenious. So what they do here, it's a modern story set mostly in present day with flashbacks in the 80s. And each episode uses an Edgar Allan Poe story as the basis of it, but changes things around. Uh, but you'll recognize certain elements of the telltale heart and the pit and the pendulum and the raven and all of that. Uh, and it's all about, it's kind of a combination of succession with some of the recent series we've had about uh, pharma families uh, like Dope Sick and Edgar Allan Poe. So it, it's all about this pharmaceutical family, giant billion dollar corporation that created a fictional opioid that has killed millions of people. And uh, the patriarch of the family is played by the great Bruce Greenwood. He's been around and done tons of stuff for decades. And he's got six grown children through five different wives. And they're, one is more horrible than the other. And they're always trying to please daddy. And they're all involved in their own endeavors that are ethically and morally dubious. And they all, as we find out in the first episode, this is not a spoiler alert, they all meet a very gruesome end And then the series goes back and shows how each one of them uh, met their maker. And there's a supernatural element and some really cool stuff. Great cinematography, first rate production design. It's called The Fall of the House of Usher. It's on Netflix. Uh, It's gory stuff. Don't be uh, cooking up the rigatoni and eating it during this because there's a lot of blood and guts on the screen. But check it out if you can. All right. That's going to do it for this week. Uh, We'll be back soon. We've got some huge, huge movies coming out. Oscar contenders will have reviews of that and of course a lot of seasonal stuff for you. I'm Richard Roper. Thanks for listening.